Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. Being a psychological counselor, a psychotherapist, I, <laughs> I am in private practice, but I have all sorts of reasons to interface with the medical profession. Though we do not have a psychiatrist on staff in the private practice, nor a family nurse practitioner who has specialty with behavioral health, mental health concerns. Uh, but over my career professionally, I've worked with many psychiatrists and what is a psychiatrist? A medical doctor. They can do psychotherapy most often in at least our region. Most of them actually do not do the psychotherapy part, but focus mostly upon the medication services, uh, psychotropics, medicines that help with depression and anxiety, and they leave all the talk therapy to folks like me, which is rather convenient, isn't it? Uh, it's a nice synergistic relationship. It would not have been that I would not have wanted a psychiatrist in the practice, I'll put it that way, but they're hard to come by. And that's probably why they focus mostly on the medication and they're very good at what they do. And I'm sure they'd be very good at the psychotherapy part too should they decide to focus upon that or specialize in that as well as the medicine. But I get a lot of individuals that come to see me and they're thinking out of a medical model when they come see me which just means they too are focusing their attention or wanting to focus so much as with the particulars on medication that the talk therapy, though they may appreciate the educational aspects of it, they might even appreciate the nuances of the psychodynamics of it. Uh, the psychology, the psychotherapy, talk therapy aspects of it. Uh, many just want medicines and they just want to feel good. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> certainly a good portion of psychotherapy is psychoeducation. And with that, we usually will end up talking about body and physiology. And though again, I'm not a medical doctor. My doctorate is in counseling psychology. I am fairly well trained, <laughs> worked many years in the practice, private practice, worked over those years with psychiatrists, family nurse practitioners, uh, took courses, continuing education as well as core curriculum in my doctoral as well as master's program on such topics as physiological psychology, psychopharmacology. <laughs> I don't have drug reps <laughs> come see me, but I have even so worked at hospitals where we had not only MDs, psychiatrists, family nurse practitioners, but we had drug representatives who were continually providing information for us. I've even worked at a few psychiatric practices. So all I'm trying to say is I have at least a base knowledge of the physiology and would want to talk to them about just that, body chemistry and certainly medication is an aspect of that, but there's a lot that could be said for just self-care, 
exercise, nutrition, diet. That has a lot to say about your neurotransmitters. And what ones are those? The ones that are responsible for not only all of the physiological functioning that goes into the psychological sort of constructs, uh, your psychological operations, including cognitive, brain, literally, physiology, but also brain operation, which then leans more toward the psychology. But I will recommend, at times, just simple strategies of self-care, such as good exercise regimens, routines, regimens, good eating, dietary habits, and there are specialists for that too. There are dietitians, there are exercise physiologists, and I have certainly done my share of referrals to those specialties as well. It's a holistic approach. It's a comprehensive approach. But for the sake of today's podcast and the article I'm about to read from Psychology Today, many of them, however, as much, even with that, are looking for simply medication to make them feel better. And I get that. But at the same time, I don't know if that's abdicating or forfeiting some degree of accountability, responsibility just for general self-care and take care of yourself and your body physically. All your psychological operations, your emotional operations, your cognitive operations, they're all physiologically based. Psychology Today, under the Health Supplemental Science section, January, February of 2024. Article entitled, Why Your Brain Hates Junk Food. Highly processed food alters liver function, making you hungrier and destroying neural resistance, or excuse me, resilience by Scott C. Anderson. And with that, he is a staff writer for Psychology Today. The health of your brain, science is making clear, has a lot to do with the health of your gut, which, of course, has much to do with what you feed it. That raises a whole new set of concerns about junk food and offers yet more evidence that modern diets are failing us. Many highly processed foods are potentially dangerous, in part because they disregard the fate of billions of bugs that live in the gut and carry out surprising, a surprising array of bodily functions. But it is pure folly to ignore these bacteria, especially since they are so crucial to physical and mental health. How important? A new study from Tufts University contends the better microbe-oriented diets could avert approximately 1.6 million hospitalizations and result in an estimated net savings of 13.6 billion in healthcare costs in the first year alone. The microbes in your gut differ from those in mine and they vary daily. 
The diversity of gut microbes allows for an astonishing number of genes, outnumbering our own genes by a factor of 100. Courtesy of those genes, good bacteria produce nourishing substances that feed and heal the cells lining your gut. If you don't support those good bacteria, your gut cells may become hungry and disease prone. Your gut may become leaky enough to allow bacteria and toxins through. Once bacteria breach the gut lining, the heart pumps then to every organ in the body, including the brain. The upshot, depression, anxiety, paranoia, psychoses, cognitive difficulties, and dementia. The term process as applied to food can be confusing. It defines a food that has undergone any changes from its natural state. Many processed foods are perfectly fine. Shelled nuts, for instance, are processed to remove an inedible shell. Grains are processed by milling to turn them into flour. Other foods are so highly processed that it's difficult to identify the source material. Think cheese puffs, Twinkies, vegan burgers. One of the first steps in processing food is removal of fiber. After all, fiber is indigestible and makes products brown. Taking the fiber out and you have beautiful white foods that are easy to color any way you wish. But fiber is an important macronutrient, and it is meant especially for your gut microbes, not you. That single alteration, eliminating fiber, may be the worst thing that has happened to the American diet over the last 70 years. As a result, the microbial composition of our guts is changing and some species are even becoming extinct. There's more. Processed foods often contain emulsifiers, which smooth texture, extend shell life, and keep ingredients mixed. Some like carboxymethylcellulose and polysorbate 80, can significantly affect intestinal microbes, killing some species, boosting others, but generally destroying diversity, the single best measure of gut health, and promoting gut inflammation, often a precursor to systemic problems. There are hundreds of nutrients in food that are good for you, but they can be classified into four broad categories. Fiber, fat, protein, and carbs. Let's imagine a food called Equistuff, made with an equal amount of each macronutrient. Now take out the fiber to improve taste and texture, and you're left with one-third fat, one-third protein, and one-third carbs. If we then take the fat out of Equistuff, we've got a totality of half protein and half carbs. We didn't set out to do this, but the carbs in Equistuff have gone from 25% to 50%. 
By taking out two macronutrients, we doubled the carbs. You don't even need to add carbs like sugar to make something sweeter, although that is done often. Remove the fat and fiber and the job is done for you. Sadly, sugar is not good for a balanced gut microbiome. Fructose and glucose are the main sugars in our diet, but they are processed differently by the body. Glucose is the primary energy source, beloved by brain cells, ushered directly into cells by insulin to provide energy to muscles and other tissues. Fructose or fructose, on the other hand, is processed by the liver. Because fructose is sweeter, easier to use, and cheaper than cane sugar, thanks to government subsidies, food manufacturers add extra amounts to, pro to products in the form of high fructose corn syrup, the most popular version of which has a fructose or fructose level of 55%, although it can go as high as 90%. A fructose-rich diet can alter the microbiome, leading to gut problems, metabolic disorders, and brain dysfunction. The liver converts excess fructose to fat. In the process, cellular energy levels are miscalibrated by the liver, triggering hunger. It's an ominous sign that when eating, or it's an ominous sign when eating, doesn't sate or satiate you, but makes you hungrier. Over time, a fructose overload can lead to obesity and liver disease. A continued surplus of fructose may increase the risk of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and proceed further to non-alcoholic hepatitis, two diseases affecting an increasingly large percentage of the population. They are disproportionately affecting children who are already in the throes of an obesity epidemic. Almost 40% of obese children will go on to develop liver disease. Some studies have found that extra fructose in the diet, even temporarily, can disturb normal nerve growth in the brain. A week of fructose consumption, far less than needed to affect liver function, is sufficient to reduce plasticity in or of the brain's hippocampus a structure particularly vulnerable to nutritional stressors. It also compromises energy production by the mitochondria and weakens defenses against oxidative stress. The effects on neural function may be setting the stage for neurodegenerative diseases. The liver's impact on the brain is profound. Depression, Anger and irritability have long been known as fellow travelers with liver disease. Hippocrates knew 2,500 years ago that liver patients exhibited troubled behaviors. Those whose madness arises from the liver shout, play tricks, 
and will not keep still, but are always up to some mischief. Hippocrates also said, all disease begins in the gut. Bacteria is your gut. In your gut are significant producers of neurotransmitters, including dopamine and serotonin, among many bioactive substances. The gut-produced agents, which can communicate with your brain via the vagus nerve, are the same neurotransmitters targeted by psychoactive drugs, such as SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Pumped up by excess sugar, pathogenic bacteria in the microbiome can alter the lining of the gut and lead to leaky gut, opening the door to systemic inflammation. Over time, inflammation can undermine cognition and mood. For the brain or for the sake of brain health, cutting back on processed food and replacing it with fiber-filled veggies like onions, broccoli, artichokes, and beans is a smart strategy. Good fiber and beneficial bacteria themselves can be found in fermented foods like sauerkraut, kimchi, kefir, and yogurt. If you can't flip the dietary script, try probiotics or prebiotic fiber supplements for a concentrated dose of the good stuff. This isn't an all-or-none life change, but every step you take toward increasing fiber in your diet is a step toward rejuvenating your gut bacteria and protecting your brain health. And again, this is Psychology Today, January, February of 2024, under the Health Supplemental Science section. Why does your brain or why your brain hates junk food? Highly processed food alters liver function, making you hungrier and destroying neural resilience. By Scott C. Anderson, again, staff writer of psychology today. (laughs) So what does that have to say to us? (laughs) How is it relatable? Well, if you're not doing, uh, considering first these things, and you're not doing what is best for your body in terms of self-care, if you're not taking accountability for that, if you're not being responsible for general health, health of the body, it doesn't take one who works with psychiatrists. It doesn't take one who works with family nurse practitioners. It doesn't take one who receives regular calls from drug representatives or works at hospitals. It doesn't take a medical doctor to tell you you're probably going to end up seeing any of those individuals, any one or maybe several, and I left out the exercise physiologist as well as the dietitian as well, simply because you're not practicing common sense. Which doesn't mean Hippocrates was only a matter of common sense, or at least his wisdom was only a matter of common sense, But even well before, all has been identified since 
bodily function, operation in the brain, even Hippocrates recognized your gut is where all health starts. It's what you take into your body. It's then what goes through your body. It is what nourishes your body. It is what allows your body, which is calibrated to your natural environment in such the most exquisite of ways through natural selection, evolution of the species, our social as well as natural environment have been established over time to promote optimal human function until we started to mess it up simply for the conveniences of whatever color of foods <laughs> making foods more palatable making foods otherwise more attractive whatever it might be we need to be cautious and careful and possibly so at this point inclined to go back to what we did know I don't know if we have to go all the way back to Hippocrates, but what we did know about the natural environment, the social environment, sociology, the cultural aspects of that, the day-to-day -day human interface with one another as well as our environment, and try to allow what took evolution, centuries to arrive at, we've tried to overthrow it, change it, in a matter of decades. Does that sound familiar? And it doesn't, again, take a psychotherapist or a psychological counselor to tell you that. But when someone reminds you of that, it doesn't take an article in Psychology Today. It doesn't require a podcast, necessarily. But when you are reminded of that, you should do that. I'm not saying, again, that I hold specialty or expertise as a medical doctor, as a physiologist, an exercise physiologist, a dietitian. I am a psychological counselor. I am a psychotherapist. But I have been trained and taught in some basic premises of physiological operation and function and am well aware that all that we call psychology and psychological operation is predicate upon that foundationally. If you don't take care of your body, the physiology, do those things in self-care manner and way that are good for you, meet your primary drives. <laughs> Food, water, sleep in the most optimal of ways if we don't at least attend to the cultural effects, the sociological effects, effects of changes, even if we want to change it, it will destroy the ecology of it all and ultimately affect us. The article mentions extinction, not of humans, but of micro or macro nutrients of those um, bacteria, bugs, microbiome of even the ecology uh, of our gut that does affect not only neurotransmitter release 
But with that general meeting of basic needs, elemental to our survival. <laughs> so you don't go. You don't die prematurely. The lifespan can be maximized. Our not only physical health, but then everything that supports psychological health that is then more natural, more physiologically based, can be optimal. It does not take a psychotherapist to tell you that. It does not take a psychological counselor to tell you that. But it may take a psychological counselor or a psychotherapist to say, you can go see someone and get a medication to treat a condition, but it will, in the end, not necessarily only treat the symptoms, but be more inclined to simply treating symptoms rather than changing, now we're getting really into some psychology, personality. How you go about conducting your life, aligning your personality as with cognition, as with emotional operations, as with habits, as with intention, as with strategy, as with will, to what we know has been absent even all of those things, already well calibrated for us and must be taken into consideration and having our personality as it is of human construct we made it up having that rightly then reconciled so that we don't end up messing everything so majorly up that it could result in some premature either disease progression of disorder to the state of disease and then disease to an early exit early expiration date unless that's what you want to do and if that's what you want to do then I'm sure it's your choice to do it but primary care is prevention and we still believe that to be a good model and primary care should always come before secondary and tertiary care secondary after symptoms after you recognize something's not quite right and then tertiary once there is a disease process that kicks in or at least a progression in terms of disease is initiated then everything you do after that is going to be slowing it down as it goes along the progression it becomes harder and harder to remediate that or provide such the remedy as to correct that. You can make adjustments, but that's really when you need all of the medications and the additional levels of care, specialties even, except that they would be preventative medicine oriented. But if they're cardiologists, if they're even general practitioners, most of that work, as the article well pointed out, hospitalizations medicines are necessary because we did not do a good job of taking care of ourselves in the first place aside from genetic predispositions and even then with such do the best you can as soon as you can to be healthy that's not only good common sense that's good psychology it's good psychological counsel it's good advice 
And that's why we do the podcast. I don't want it to just be common sense, but I would like it to be relatable in that way. That you could say, oh yeah, that's common sense. And maybe then it would take less persuasion or maybe you would be more easily persuaded to go back to the egg and do what's best for you. If you enjoy the podcast, I certainly would want to invite you back to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. We drop the podcast weekly. Should you want to reach out to me for any reason, you can call me at 304-523-WORD, which is 9673. You can find us or me on the the web at thewordhouse.com. You can email me directly at drmdclay at thewordhouse.com. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Wordhouse. You can find, if not just me, also a directory of vetted providers on the Psychology Today website. And they can certainly offer you as much, I'm sure, and sometimes maybe even more, as much specialty may matter to you. Uh, Geography may matter to you, more in the way of convenience, assistance, uh, in that manner, logistically, uh, by being closer to you, maybe specializing in something that you feel like that's what you need more than just simply a broad general practice sort of orientation, although I do possess specialties, and who knows? I might be able to do that as well as them. But you're welcome to look up providers on the Psychology Today website. Uh, They may be locally, geographically available, but it doesn't seem to matter so much these days because we have virtual interventions and services available and telehealth. And I am sure... Whatever your situation, you may live in the most remote area left in the continental USA and and still be able to see someone who lives in a big city somewhere or where, again, there may be more persons or it may be difficult for you to get there, but telehealth allows you to do that. Again, I want to thank you for joining us on Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. Invite you back to the next podcast. And in the meantime, until we get a chance to meet again, I want to wish you the best of not only good mind health, good behavioral health, but as I always say, as the podcast was specific to say today, good even physical health. Thanks. Thanks.